Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part improv comedy. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Why don't dogs like baths? I The weird thing about dogs, I don't think most animals like baths, though. That's the thing. Like, cats are notoriously, like, super bad with them. Okay, but, like, that fits in their behavior, right? Cats are just, in general, gremlins. And I say that with love. Dogs, however, are like, I'm pretty much down for anything but vets and baths. And I'm like, vets, I understand. I've avoided the dentist for three years. So a dog not wanting to go to the vet, I get it. But the bath, the bath is, the bath helps you, man. The tricky thing is, is dogs are also the ones that like see someone in a pool and just jump in. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this is the same thing. What you're doing right now is the same thing. So I don't understand, like, because the reason I'm bringing this up is because I watched a video where, like, a little girl was like, all right, dog, it's time for a bath. And you watch the dog get visibly sad and start to, like, crouch into the floor. And I'm like, bro, it's going to take, like, ten minutes. Calm down. Right. Have you seen, like, dogs react to, like, hair dryers afterwards? No, I haven't. They, like... They do that thing they do with the hose as well. It's like they like, try to oh eat the God. air. That's awesome. It's like, hey, man, chill out. But also, I think dogs like going to the groomers. So maybe they just don't like, maybe their owners are just bad at it. I don't know. I think it's one of those things that like you have to do it to them enough that they get used to it. But that means like the first few times they're just going to hate you. Oh, yeah. I, hey, similar thought. I have so much props to, they're usually hairstylists that, like, will give a child their first haircuts. Because, I mean, that's like interrogating a prisoner of war. Like, you, like, it's, it's hard. It is difficult work. Well, the concept of cutting your hair off and it not hurting, I understand why that's confusing. Yes, yeah. Like, so you're going to take some sharp objects, right? And it's going to make a lot of noise. And I'm going to lose something I've been growing for months. And it's not going to hurt. So what we're saying is if you are in charge of the cleanliness of any human under three or just a dog in general, you know, you hats off. Congrats. Yeah, you're, props, you're, man. Yeah, it's hard work and no one's going to thank you except you when you don't have to smell a smelly dog. Alex, are you ready to talk about our movies? I'm always ready to talk about our movies. This week, (laughs) sorry, I was taking a long sip of water and I'm like, he'll notice that I haven't been talking and he'll take over, but whatever. Nah, sometimes it's (laughs) fun not to. So this week we're continuing our theme of micro themes. These are movies that we didn't want to spend an entire month talking about. So we are going to be talking about heist movies. We're talking about Jackie Brown and the Italian job. When we talk about more than one movie at once, it's all spoilers all the time. If you don't want to hear us talk about these movies, you can skip to this time code right here. Time code 29 minutes, six seconds. Now it's a permanent good tradition that every time we pick a theme, we usually have one that drops the ball a little bit where a mo- yep. it's a movie that technically fits into the sh- into the theme into what we're working with but not, not as not the, not our best pick cuts to you know Anne Hathaway in Les Mis is kind of the big one that i think about yeah <laughs> and now or, or uh Meryl Streep in Kramer versus Kramer yep uh-huh so I would like to add Jackie Brown onto that list of movies that we were close, but not quite. Uh, it's like, yeah, technically, but like, not really. It's not the stereotype. Because I'm watching this movie, right? And I'm even Googling beforehand and during the movie, is Jackie Brown a heist movie? And every list is like top 10 heist movies of all time. And Jackie Brown is on that list. But All the little blurbs are like, now this isn't your traditional heist movie. And afterwards, I'm like, yeah, because it's hardly a heist. It's a sting movie more than it is a heist movie. It's a stealing movie, which is not the same thing as a heist. So uh, if you are unfamiliar with Jackie Brown, it is one of Quentin Tarantino's less known works. A lot of people will put this towards the bottom of Quentin Tarantino movies. 
Uh, and but boy, does it still feel like a Quentin Tarantino movie? It's so Quentin Tarantino, and it feels. It's like all the parts that people who don't like Quentin Tarantino don't like. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so if you know me, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, but the so the plot of this movie is pretty simple, I would say. It's there's this airline um hostess named uh Jackie Brown and uh, she's they call them flight attendants. Flight attendants. I I could not come up with that phrase for the life of me. Whew, brain is slow today. Um, she is. Uh, she flies from Mexico to America, and she regularly smuggles money for Samuel L. Jackson's character, Ordell. And long story short, she gets caught once, and they're, the uh, authorities are like, hey, how about you help us catch this guy by smuggling the rest of his money and... That way we can put him away. Jackie Brown goes to Ordell and is like, hey, this is what they want me to do to you. Let's find a way to circumvent this so we can get your money out and you can still hold on to it. And so this whole time, we don't know. We're watching Jackie Brown plan this, you know, pseudo heist while we don't know if she's going to turn Ordell into the authorities or help Ordell keep his money or keep the money for herself. That's kind of what's on the line in this movie. Right. And it's like, it's got all the Quentin Tarantino tropes. And you either love them or you hate them. And this is one of the hard, this is not an entry level movie for Quentin Tarantino fans. No. You got to give them Pulp Fiction. You got to give them Inglorious Bastards. Or you give them Django Unchained. Like you start with one of those three. And then you ease them into movies like this. Yeah. Because it's like... His it's just him on steroids. And the I think that the weird thing is you gotta remember that he writes and directs this movie. So every time someone's talking, I'm like, oh, he put that in. That dialogue yeah. is written by him, which makes it a little weirder. <laughs> yeah. You think about how many times Samuel L. Jackson just, you know, drops drops the end bomb and you're like, hey Quentin man, I don't I don't know if this was you or Sam, but like I've got to give you a little benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. It feels just a little weird. Um, But yeah. So like, here's my thing. I'm just going to come on and say, I'm not going to beat around the bush. This movie is renowned for being one of the most slept on movies. Like movies you don't anticipate, like the underrated, like this movie's supposed to be really good. I think this movie's properly rated. This movie is pretty okay. <laughs> yeah. I think this movie, it's, I finished this movie being like, I don't think I got it. Yeah. Like, I understood what was happening, but I felt like everyone's, like, in love with this movie and said, like, oh, this movie's underrated. No one talks about this movie. And I'm like, I think I know why. I feel like <laughs> yeah. he's just got other better movies. And so... Pam Greer, who plays Jackie Brown, she was already incredibly famous when she did this movie. Um, she's good in this movie. I don't think she's, like, interstellar. She's good. Um... Sam Jackson is Sam Jackson. This movie does have, I will say, my least favorite Rob De Niro performance. I did not like him in this movie. Very much, if at all. Right. And I liked Michael Keaton in this movie. Sure. Yeah. And I liked Chris Tucker in this movie as well. <laughs> yeah. All of 90 seconds he was in it. Right. Um, but yeah, as it was, I liked De Niro in this purely because it's not what he normally does. Sure, yeah. So I'm like, oh, I like seeing this side of you when you're like not a straight up gangster. You're just like a guy. And I'm like, I yeah. never get to see that. So it's not, it wasn't impressive, but I just like seeing something different. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff in this movie happens off screen. This movie tells you about so much stuff that happens. For example, Chris Tucker's character dies, but like, did we see that happen? Yeah, because he okay, puts him in the back did. of the trunk, takes okay. him to the parking lot, he gets out and just shoots him in the trunk. Okay, okay, okay. What you don't see is any of the gun deals go down. Yes. So it's Ode Ordell Robbie, Samuel Jackson's character, is a arms dealer, and you never see the guns. And he deals with um, a dealer in Cabo, like somewhere in the Caribbean or Mexico, like Central America. And you never see that. 
You like we never there's never cut to Central America. There's never cut to the Caribbean. It just never happens. We Which only see Pam coming back. Which is fine. We don't need to. We don't need to see Central America. We just need to see some of the consequences. That isn't money, right? It just feels weird that money is showing up and we never see where it comes from. Because he never talks about the business side of it. He talks about it once at the very beginning. He's explaining to Robert De Niro's character like how he deals with customers that want certain kinds of weapons. That is the last time we hear about any sort of business interaction from Ordell this whole movie. Yeah, it's also weird that like it gets brought up more than once that De Niro just got out of prison for four or five years for armed robbery. And we never talk about it again. Like, hey, dude, yeah. you want to elaborate on and like- also Robert De Niro's character does not give off armed robbery vibes at all. I will say it gives off the guy who gets caught for armed robbery vibes. Okay, fair enough. Fair I'm enough. like, yeah, this guy, yeah, I understand why he didn't get away with it. And so the 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 meat of the movie doesn't actually start happening until the second half of the movie. And let's be clear, this joint is two and a half hours long. So And guess what? It feels like two and a half hours long. So we see Jackie Brown kind of like, because it's all about a handoff, right? It's not anything eloquent at all. It's show up to a mall, do a handoff, and leave. That is the extent of their plan. And But she's so, trying to s- keep the money to herself, fool Samuel Jackson that he's still getting paid, and convince the um, ATF and like local police officers that th- she isn't getting all of the money. So she's trying to fool two people. At the same time. That's the extent of the heist. Which, by the way, is not a heist. That's not a heist. You're, you're tricking people. And I guess you're stealing money, but you had it already. Like, that's just weird. And when I think of heist, I think of a team. She had one other person in on it. Like, that was weird. There's no getaway driver. There's no, like, she's the mastermind. There's no hacker. There's no, like, you know, pretender face person who's, like, undercover inside job. That's, I guess she's that person, too. Like, it just feels weird. There's no, like, super elaborate, let's walk through the plan one more time. That never happens. We just do it. So, pretty much what we're saying is, to every list article writer that put this on your top ten heist movies list, you're wrong. You're wrong. Like It just just, doesn't count. Yeah. Um, This movie is pretty much entirely character i don't want to say character development because characters don't develop in this movie it's just a character it's just character studies it's like what if we watched four people interact for 90 minutes and then they did a handoff for an hour that's yeah let's just watch something interesting happen with characters we're familiar with so i mean i (laughs) i really don't have much more to say about this movie i didn't find it very interesting You, you really have to be into the vibes Ooh, you have to be, you need to be into the vibes. If you are not into the vibes, you will not like this movie. Yeah. If you like Quentin Tarantino, you'll like this movie. If you're impartial, you'll be impartial to this movie. And if you don't like Quentin Tarantino, you're not going to like this movie. That's pretty much how it works. This movie's not changing anybody's minds. Okay. Um, and those are the only, that's the most important thing. If you're into heist movies, it doesn't mean you're going to like this movie. If you're into like black films and black exploitation films, it doesn't mean you're going to like this movie. If you like De Niro movies. It doesn't mean you're going to like this movie. Like, you just need to like Tarantino or not like Tarantino. Like, that's what you need to go off of. Don't look at the era that this was made. Don't look at when it takes place. None of that matters. Um, also, we didn't even talk about, like, the Bail Bondsman, which is, like, a, one of the biggest characters in this movie. And that just felt weird. Yeah, because the Bail It was interesting Bondsman... in the fact that we don't hear much about Bail Bondsman in movies in general, which is probably why Tarantino put him in. It's like, oh, here's something, an angle no, people don't normally see. Well, this but at the same time, also... I'm like, it's dumb. This movie is also based on a book. So, like, I don't know how much of this is from the book. I don't know if any characters were added or removed from the book, so I can't really speak on that so much. Gotcha. But um, this Bail Bondsman is kind of like Jackie's... he's the one that encourages Jackie to take the money for herself. And uh, he's the one that helps her out a little bit, gives her the extra nudges she needs. And she kind of like 
or and he kind of bails her out um at the very end so it's this character that's like just kind of comes in when he's needed and not he's like much a past mentor that. slash romantic interest slash accomplice yeah that, yeah he really that's pretty much what it comes down to is he's the accomplice of this movie yeah it this movie's all right I'm, the problem is is like for how much people talk about it, I feel like I missed it. I feel like there's parts of this movie. That's how I felt after watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like, I'm obviously not getting what everyone's freaking out about. Like, this movie has to be good, and I just don't get it. Um, Because it's not a bad movie, but this happens to me every once in a while. I'm like, I understand that this movie's quality. I just feel like I don't understand how good it is. Um, So, yeah, dude. It's just, like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm... I'm giving this like a five and a half. Like the like the cinema is there and like the artsy film stuff is there and I don't want to completely disregard it. But this just isn't my kind of movie. I found very little to like latch myself onto. So I, I'm sitting at like a five and a half with this. Yeah, I'm giving it a five and a quarter. Pretty much the same thing. It's just like the dialogue was cool. I just feel there was, there was, there was sections that were too long and not important and the parts that i really wanted to see we didn't go into much at all so it was a okay movie i'm just not super interested in seeing it again i would but like someone's gonna have to break it down for me and tarantino really has a foot thing and it was so obvious in this movie like everyone early Everyone memes on it. Everyone jokes on it. It's like the worst kept secret in the world. But like, holy crap, man. Like, whoo, it's apparent as hell in this one. Anyway, the Italian job. Now, this is a heist movie. Yeah, (laughs) this this is if it's like Ocean Eleven and then this movie. It's like the heist movie. Yeah. Um, Mark Wahlberg, uh, Charlize Theron, Edward Norton. Like it's a pretty good it's a it's a good cast. Um, the movie starts with uh, the crew of the movie pulling a heist, and at the very end, Edward Norton's character betrays the gang, shoots Donald Sutherland's character, and takes the money for himself. And so the movie is a year later. They finally find Edward Norton's character. The gang kind of comes back together with the addition of Charlize Theron, who is Donald Sutherland's daughter and they try to take down edward norton's character and steal the money back so the first yeah, 10 minutes of much the movie so the first 10 minutes of the movie is the heist and then the rest of the movie is heisting back what was supposed to be ours yeah so there's two heists and i like that it's very common in movies to have more than one just like one to show you hey it can be done and then the second one's like all right let's build a team Let's practice. Let's set up the schematics. All right, it's going to go wrong. How do we recover? Now we're going to get away with it. It's the whole long, drawn-out heist, what people are used to. This has your mastermind, your safe cracker, your getaway driver. It has your demolitions expert. It's got it's got all of the things you're used to. Um, and it does it in a relatively interesting way. The problem is I don't find... This movie does heist really well. I don't think it does good movie very well. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Also, um, it was difficult up until I would say about the third act of this movie to remember which character was which because, hey, I under- I remembered everyone's heist names. Left Ear, easy to remember. Napster, easy to remember. But if you're asking me to remember which one is Charlie, Steve, John, and Rob, sorry, man. That's, that's out of the question for me. Well, you got handsome rob yeah and so when they which by the way has nothing to do with him like sneaking in being a spy he's a driver he just looks good and when they called him handsome rob i knew who they were talking about but if they ever just referred to him as rob it it was gone i was gone (laughs) i needed that modifier thankfully like john didn't last very long and i just had to assume like oh yeah Stella's dad. He's like the dad. I had to remember them. And then Charlie, he, I just, people had to be talking to him for me to know who he's talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. And then same thing. Okay. Here's the thing with Edward Norton, bro. 
Um, I don't like him in this movie at all. Neither I do I. And I Neither can't. Do I. It could have been a couple of things. One, he's not scary at all. Um, he, he has like high school bully energy. He just comes like off the, really smug. Yeah, like the my dad can beat up your dad energy. Where I'm like, well, that's not scary because you're not scary. I'm scared of your henchmen, you know? So like, and I don't feel like you're particularly smart. And I can't tell if that was like Ed Norton primal fear coming through or if that's who the character was supposed to be. But it felt weird. And the facial hair was weird. And something just like rubbed me the wrong way. I think they gave him the most punchable face they possibly could have. They really did. Yeah. So if they, I guess if they, the goal was to find a person that people just hate, they did a very good job. So I think this movie, it, this movie did not need Mark Wahlberg. They could have yeah, been, been anybody. anybody. Hear me out. This movie didn't need anybody that was in it. Every every one of these people was interchangeable. Um, I'm gonna. I think Napster, Seth Green, probably yep. was the was the yeah. only person that I'm like. I like that he's the one doing this. Yeah, that's what I was going to plant my flag. Like, Seth Green plays that, like, just a little annoying but otherwise funny hacker guy. Like, he's perfect for that. Amazing. I think they could have found someone more handsome than Jason Statham for Handsome Rob. Sharice Theron could have been anybody. She only got cast because they wanted butts and seats. Edward Norton, same thing. Mark Wahlberg, same thing. Donald Sutherland wasn't in enough of the movie to make a difference anyway. Hey. So. So I was I was excited to watch this movie because like I haven't really seen a full Donner, Donald Sutherland movie. Like the most Donald Sutherland I've seen was in The Hunger Games. Yep. And he's not in very much of the first two, which are the only two that I've seen. So I saw that he was in this movie, and I'm like, cool. I finally get to watch like a good Donald Sutherland movie, and then he dies in the first ten minutes. And I was so the weird upset thing for me that. is he's so famous. That when he dies, I'm like, oh, he's coming back. He faked his death. Like, I was convinced he faked yeah. his death. And I'm like, no, he's just out of this movie, which was like, felt like a waste. And even like the way he was talking right before he got killed, like the five minutes before, I'm like, this is what a person says when they're about to disappear and no one knows where he's at. Um, now, all that being said, I very much enjoyed the heisting parts. Uh, anytime they were working on the heist or doing the heist, I was down with it. Uh, my favorite part of heist movies. So there are two ways that heist movies can go. Either they show you the setup the entire way. So that way, when everything is executed, you get a satisfying feeling of knowing how this was supposed to go. Or the movie doesn't tell you the plan and you get the satisfaction from seeing it understanding it as it goes yeah and i the think rule this in movies though is show it like when you're talking about it show it so that people know when it goes wrong yes. or don't show it and then have people imp- be impressed with your planning but what you can't do is tell people how it's supposed to go and then have it go well so they went with the second round like you said where we're like we're just not going to tell you how we're going to do it and you're just going to be impressed with how well this is executed because there are things that they show us that uh, we expect. Like, they do um, training where they drive Mini Coopers through hallways and um, tight streets and stuff like that. And, you know, we see her um, go undercover and oh, go inside. Stella's... Yeah, and she's practicing on safes. Yeah. So there are parts of this plan. Like, we know most of the plan going into it. And we see them set up a lot of it. It's just kind of those finer details of, uh, you know, them actually moving the gold from the safe into the cars. Um, How they track how the money is being moved via, like, measuring the height of the trucks. Stuff like that. Little details like that. And so that's what I really like about heist movies is watching them have a very well-made plan but still adapting to the real life practice of that plan. And right. I think that's what this movie does very well. It's like we are sticking to the plan as much as possible, but we understand variations need to happen. And it, the movie is more interesting when we watch them adapt to what they need to do now. This movie is like a lot of the source material for the GTA heist down to the mini Coopers in the sewers, bro. 
like GTA copied heist for this, like giving the people the same jobs. Like it's, it was well done. Even like stealing the gold bars GTA stole from this movie. But this movie, like, like I said, great heist movie when they're heisting. It's awesome. All the interpersonal relationships are just bad. I don't know if they're badly written or there's horrible. There's no character development. Everyone is pretty much the same in the beginning of the movie as they are at the end of the movie. Yes, which I think would be fine if this movie was just 15 minutes shorter. I think if they just cut the character development completely and didn't even like try to pretend to do that, it would be fine. Like Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron have no romantic chemistry together. So when he walks in on her changing and they're like flirting a little bit, I'm like, whatever. I'm like, I know you're supposed to do this, but it feels forced. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. And like, yeah, I don't know. I was just like unimpressed in general. There's a scene where they confront Edward Norton's character in a restaurant and basically tell him, Hey, we're going to steal your stuff, which is why they end up having to change the plan a little bit and hitting him on the move. But I'm just like, so this guy killed your dad, right? You okay? And this guy killed all your guys' friend, right? And you're you're just going to punch him in the face and leave? You're not going to kill him? Because I would be livid. I'd be pretty pissed. And you guys are just like, well, we're going to steal it back. I'm like, oh, so you're not taking any of this personally. I did kind of like that scene because I knew it was going to add another layer of difficulty to their heist. And I was just interested to see like how what they did with that. Yeah, I was just like, I like that it got more difficult. I love it when that happens where they're like, oh, we can't do it with the original plan, but we can keep elements of it. But instead, I'm just like, you're confronting the killer and one of you punched him in the face and then you just left. This guy tried to kill all of you, by the way. He tried to kill all of you and actually only killed one of you. And that was your dad for one of you. Like this doesn't it react like a normal person, bro. It's not about the money right now. It just felt weird. I mean, and there's a bunch of other like movie tropes that's in this, like the yeah, this she has to hack it tropey. by hand. It, and this movie, I don't know if this movie is probably a blend of creating tropes and playing into tropes, and that's it shows. Okay, I it guess. shows. Yeah. yeah, and so again, this is one of those movies where. I don't think it's going to rock your world. It's not going to change your life, but it's an exciting and satisfying heist movie. I think other movies have done heists better, but I think this is like the quintessential heist movies. You're going to get everything you need from a heist movie in this one. Right. If your favorite part about heist movies is the heist, then you're going to love this movie. If your favorite part of the heist movies is like learning each character and that ter- then this movie's not for you. Go watch like Fast and Furious Four or something. You know, go watch. There's a bunch of other movies you can watch. All right, because um, then you have three movies as freaking backstory before they do that ice. So this movie, I would recommend it to people who like heists. Otherwise, it's it's just a regular smegler movie, dude. <laughs> regular smegular. You heard it here first. Right. I'm giving this like a seven and a quarter. I like this movie. It was fun. It, it itched the brain in all the good ways. I'm giving it a six and a quarter. I feel like the heist should have been either a bigger deal and everything else should have been smaller or they should have focused more on characters. But the characters are so uninteresting to me that I feel like it took away from the heist. It's not a bad movie. It's just like for me, it was the uninteresting parts were very uninteresting. Yeah, um, and the I interesting parts were good enough. So, yeah, six and a quarter for me. All right. We're going to move on to our improv segment. This is a segment called Alphabet Soup, I'm pretty sure. The way this works is we're just going to do a scene, and uh, we just have to do our lines in alphabetical order, but we're starting in different spots in the alphabet, so we have to do them in alphabetical order as it pertains to us. And by alphabetical order, it's not the whole sentence. It's just the first word the sentence starts off with has to be after the first word of the sentence the other person said. It'll you'll, make you'll sense catch when we pretty, do it. Yeah. yeah. It's not that tricky, okay? <laughs> um, Alex, do you have any thoughts on a scene, maybe? Um, Let's... We can make it like a Thanksgiving. We should have an argument at the Thanksgiving table. All right. So, Alex, your first line is going to start with F, and mine is going to start with N. 
Okay, cool. And I'll let you, I think I think you can start us off. Frankie, your father and I were talking, and I think it's time that you go off on your own and uh, find a, a place to live independently. No, 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 no. No, you have this wrong. You have this wrong. Um, you, you know how you still have a house? That means I can live in it. Glad you brought that up. Your father and I are actually thinking of downsizing. And right now, the only reason we have a full-size basement is because you're living down there. So I'm thinking we should, you know, explore other options. Oh, so what you're saying is me being here is giving you the opportunity to live in a bigger house. How about we look at it like this? Right now, we're paying, you know, more than we would be for such a big house. And when we downsize... I mean, our property taxes are going to be better. We don't have to worry about all these stairs as your as your father's getting older. We just have no reason for all these rooms anymore. Property. It's all about property, Mom. You think that you can downsize and still have the kind of land that you have now? I, I don't think you're catching. We don't need the land. We don't. It doesn't matter. I think we just need a smaller house. We want to be closer to neighbors anyway. And just a smaller community is what we need. So we just don't need as much. And it's time for you to, you know, see what life's all about somewhere Quite frankly, else. I think we need to upsize. I think that our house, our property isn't big enough. You know, have we thought about going for a full acre? You know, we could pro- that, that's probably pretty cheap these days. Just so you know, your father's retiring next year. Retiring? Okay. So, what part of that was confusing? He's sorry, 67. Sorry, sorry. It's just, you know, I always kind of picture dad as like this, like ironclad workhorse, never show emotions, never take no for an answer. And like, you know, him retiring is kind of like taking no for an answer from life. Listen, I think you're looking at this the wrong way. I think this would be a great time for you to go out, make some friends, take a shower, maybe. Um... Get a job, um, meet some people. I don't know. Taking Live. a shower is kind of the one thing that you said that I have a big problem with. And if me moving out means I have to take more showers, then I think you understand why I'm kind of hesitant to do that. Maybe you should think about how much it sucks having you around us. I think it's causing us a lot of stress seeing how depressing your life is um and if this is a way to force you to take accountability that's just how we need to do it understand this i have a great life it is not depressing i stay at home all day and i don't have to do anything that's the thing is i don't know you to have do to do a lot of things you just refuse to do them and other people have to take responsibility for your actions or inactions it's really kind of disgusting how you have animals in your room and we don't even know where they came from vanessa the mole rat is a very close friend of mine and i will ask that you respect her as such possums okay shouldn't be bred by humans and especially not indoors by a person who never sees the light of day or goes outside. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think you're taking this a little too far, okay? I, I understand what you're trying to say. I, I, I'm getting the message, okay? I'll I'll ask Vanessa if she can leave. Possibly. Could you think of getting rid of any rodents you have? Can we think about dogs or cats? Also... You know that when you move out, pets are, like, not allowed anywhere. And when they do, they're more expensive. So maybe you should just, like, not have them and focus on getting your life together. Xavier, the parrot, comes with me wherever I go. So if I cannot find a place that will take Xavier, hey, guess what? I'm not going either. Quit the crap, Frank. I'm over it. I'm over it. You need to move out. You need to get rid of these animals I don't even know. The fact that you have names and can tell them apart is also disturbing. Okay. You need to get your life together. You need a shower. You need to find a person who cares about you because frankly, we might not be on that list anymore if this keeps up. Yesterday, everything was fine. What changed? Regrettably, you're not even listening. Yesterday, you slept through yesterday. 
I'm pretty sure you had like an overdose or something. We thought about calling the police and probably an ambulance or two, but we were more thinking about evicting you while you were out. Call an ambulance on this, Zox gun. (laughs) Zox gun. (laughs) (laughs) Works Uh, for me. I mean, I'm not going to talk about how you did pee twice in a row, but... (laughs) No, possum starts with an O, bro. Oh, you... Well, opossum starts with an O. It's not pronounced opossum, you O idiot. <laughs> I've never in my life heard of a silent O before. <laughs> well, we're Googling it. Actually, we're not Googling it. Hey, audience, send us a link to the pronunciation or, you know, tweet us or however you normally contact Craig. Just tell him that he's pronouncing possum wrong. All right, Craig. We're doing something hey. we haven't done in a while. Opossum this can be pronounced segment. with its first syllable, either voiced or silent, according to Merriam-Webster. Thank you very well, much. Well, there you go. So, fix yourself. I was right. Now, we're doing, for our middle segment, PG Book Club. I have sourced the Holy Bible of Power, a.k.a. the 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. There's 48 laws in here, many of them controversial, and we're going to go over a few, and we can evaluate whether or not they're morally correct, ethically correct. And whether or not they actually work. But I'm going to read you a little excerpt. I pulled five laws that some might think are hot takes. And you're going to just tell me what you think. Maybe we can rate them on whether or not they're effective. Like one out of five. Five being super effective. One being like, don't recommend it won't work. So I just Googled Robert Greene. And uh, I I would not take any of his recommendations on any sort of power in any context. Yes, but that's what we're evaluating. It's also a national bestseller. Okay, here we go. Law number two, never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use enemies. That sounds like somebody who doesn't have friends. You know what that means? That means he's not a good friend and he knows that. Okay, <laughs> here's, like, let's, let's elaborate on a little bit. He says, be wary of friends. They will betray you more quickly for they are easily aroused to envy. They also become spoiled and tyrannical, but hire a former enemy and he will be more loyal than a friend because he has more to prove. Now that's legit. That sounds legit. No, right? No, it so- Having it someone. So- okay. It sounds like I cannot stress this enough. That is exactly how he thinks as a friend himself. He is try- <laughs> He is constantly trying to betray his friends. So he's trying that he's trying to project that into the world. He- so when he does betray his friends, he could be like, "Don't get mad at me. I wrote about it. I told you I was going to do this." Okay, one to five. How effective do you think this is at gaining power? <laughs> I mean, effectiveness. Probably, probably at least a three, right? Okay. So we can co-sign on this. Uh, oh, law no, number no. six. Hold on, hold on. Effectiveness and co-signing are two separate things. Let me okay. get that clear right away. Okay. Law number six, court attention at all costs. What do you think about that? Initial thoughts. <laughs> Initial thoughts? Um, <laughs> no. Because do you know what that means? Okay. That, that means, <laughs> Initial thoughts? No. So imagine like you being like you even like let's move away from the friendship angle. You're in a meeting, right? You're in a boardroom, right? And somebody comes in and they're just like, hey, I just want to let you guys know right off the bat, you know, forgive me if I'm a little slow today. Um, You know, my wife and I are going through a divorce. And then you're just like, hey, stop. Start talking about me. This is what I want. Okay, let's read the passage and maybe he'll elaborate and change your mind. Okay. Everything is judged by its appearance. What is unseen counts for nothing. Never let yourself get lost in the crowd, then or buried in oblivion. Stand out, be conspicuous at all costs. I think he's making a good point. It's not like he is, the attention he is. doesn't have to be on you all the time, but don't blend in. People need to know who you are. Okay, yes, that's fair. You know, stand out, but don't be it. Don't be. Come on, pay attention. Okay, one to five. How effective I'll say, is that? I'll say, I'll say four. I can say four on that one. Okay. We're going to skip to law 11. Initial thoughts. <laughs> Learn to keep people dependent on you. <laughs> Initial thoughts. <laughs> uh, I, he's starting to sound more and more like Dennis Reynolds with everything you're telling me about him. <laughs> I'm pretty okay. sure. Hold on. I'm pretty sure that is a step in the Dennis method. 
Well, I think as far as power is concerned, it's not a bad idea, but here's what the passage says. To maintain your independence, you must always be needed and wanted. The more you are relied on, the more freedom you have. Nurture dependence. Dennis Prank called her as an angry neighbor, uh, threatening her life. She grew to need him, and uh, then he proceeded to neglect emotionally. Is that rule 12? Uh, 11, pretty much. But here's the thing. Hear me out. I don't think it's a bad idea from a power. Per- it's a. I think morally, we're on the same page. It's not a good thing to do. Okay. Yes, you're right. So, but on a what scale of one to five on being effective use of power, gaining power, holding power. I mean, I guess that that that's five. Yeah. That's got to be a five. It's like textbook how to be in control of people. All right, we're gonna we're gonna skip to law thirty. Uh, this is the fourth law of the five we're going to do. Make your accomplishments seem effortless. Okay. Initial thoughts. If you're trying to impress people, yes, that makes sense. Um, it's de- It can definitely come across cocky if you're just like, I just pulled a 16-hour day and I don't feel anything about it. Like, calm down. You're going to die. Um, but if, in terms of impressing people... Yes, sure, that makes sense. Okay, so this says, when you act, act effortlessly, as if you could do much more. Avoid the temptation of revealing how hard you worked. It only raises questions. Teach no one your tricks, or they'll be used against you. Listen, I don't really understand how this relates to power. Yeah, because... Is this like one of those things like, what? what wouldn't you want to make things look harder? Or is this supposed to... I mean, you want to look like it doesn't... That it looks easy... But then everyone else would try to do it, right? I don't really understand. Yeah. I think on a one to to five. Two, two, maybe a two. Yeah. Okay. Final one. Law 46 of the 48 laws of power. Never appear too perfect. Initial thoughts. Um, Compared directly to the last one, a bit contradictory. (laughs) Um, It's a little confusing. (laughs) I think it's the never appear too perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Because when you appear too perfect... That's when people start asking questions. Right. So, I mean, did you write this book? Because the pastor says, appearing better than others is always dangerous, but most dangerous of all is to appear to have no faults or weaknesses. Envy creates silent enemies. It is smart to be occasionally, it is smart to occasionally display defects and admit to harmless vices in order to deflect envy and appear more human. Listen. I learned Written about by this a true guy. robot, bro. <laughs> I learned about this guy mm, six minutes ago. I think I've got his number pretty down pat, okay? <laughs> I uh, I think I kind of understand his whole shtees here. So here's the thing about power, right? Power means different things to different people. And to Robert Greene, power means specifically control. Power means people are going to listen to whatever I say and not have a question about it. He does not want people to, like, follow up on him. He's like, how do I get people to just trust that I'm good and not do any and come off with so much confidence that they don't even bother researching who I am? <laughs> like, oh, man, he j- this guy just told me to, like, file these, like, these this paperwork but he told me to file them in the wrong places but he said it with such confidence i guess i have to listen to what he said but on a scale of one to five how effective are you gonna give this rule of not appearing too perfect i think three i think that's kind of a nothing statement like yeah oh appear almost human. like common Thanks. sense yeah like appear also- human so people like you well yeah also, thanks for saving that for the. <laughs> you said that there were forty-eight rules of power. And that was forty-six. Yeah. Hey, that tracks. He's like, F- I need like three more. Um, also, uh, why not do fifty? So, you, so you couldn't do fifty, and you really shouldn't have done forty-eight either. So I maybe, think what so I, I, I think what the psychology is, it's like, oh, he was clearly stretching to get to fifty. But if it was if he stopped at forty eight, that means he had forty eight ready to go. And here uh. we are at step forty six being like, oh wow, he only had like seven. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well that concludes the PG book club. We don't do it often because we don't read. Craig, yeah. what you got for the one hit wonder? Uh, this one is called Off Brand. 
Uh, basically, what we're going to do is we're going to create our own knockoff products. Just tell me what item that you're going to make a knockoff of and what you're doing to make it a knockoff. For example, I'm going to make a knockoff Mountain Dew, but they're all code red. Every flavor is code red. It says they're different flavors, but it's all code red. Um, I think I'll get a knockoff Yeezy, right? Okay. And then just make socks that are like three socks in one i'll just make super thick socks and they're going to be different colors at each layer um so when you wear them down you can see what layer you're on yeah and they're going to be reversible and you can wear them outside so they're going to have those little grippy things on the bottom for you know speed okay yeah um i'm gonna make knockoff beats but you still have to charge them, but they're also wired headphones. And they should be called radishes. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so the battery can still die. You still have to plug them in, and they smell like a vegetable garden. <laughs> Seems legit. Um, I want to make- They're $700. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah, why not? I'm going to make knockoff- Trying to think of something everyone use. Oh, I'm gonna make knockoff cars. And I think you're like, oh, what's a knockoff car? It's not a brand. What I'm starting is a new brand, and it's called SARS, very much like the disease. And all the cars, all the SARS, are convertible, and they have optional Flintstone mode where the floor opens up, so you don't have to worry about gas if you run. Okay. Out. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Um. Right. I'm going to create a knockoff vacuum where instead of it being electrical, it's just like a rotational pump. That's like, you know, those um, squeeze fans that they use for fireplaces to get the fire going. It's just going to be like Mm -hmm. that, but opposite inside the vacuum. That's nice. Um, This isn't really a knockoff. I'm just like creating an industry that doesn't exist. I'm going to replace rings with a sleeve for your finger. So like a glove, but imagine the only finger is your ring finger and the glove otherwise doesn't exist. It's just a little part that slides onto that finger. And then you can just like, you know, swap it out with different colors, different materials or whatever, but it covers your entire finger. I would, I would love if there's a version of that where, where the sleeve is transparent and there's just a picture of a ring where a ring would normally go. So it's just a clear sleeve with a, with just like a, like a, picture of a ring yeah why not dude and we're gonna call them reeves for ring sleeves okay um i i'm gonna make a knockoff domino's pizza where i'm just gonna start putting domino's in your pizza i'm gonna start baking it into the bread it's like that mardi gras tradition with the king's cake where if you get the baby you have to make the next king cake except um the crust is all dominoes, and if you bite into a domino, you have to buy another pizza. Nice. Uh, I'm going to create a knockoff of Broadway and call it Boulevard, and it's just a movie theater that shows live performances. <laughs> so it's just Dude. taped shows that you get to watch, complete with intermissions and blacked out stages with scene changes, and we're going to do it for concerts, we're going to do it for musicals and plays, but you're in a movie theater. And it's just a taped live performance. There's just one guy. There's one guy in like the middle of the Broadway theater, just like Facebook living from his iPhone and then yeah. like airdropping to the actual theater. And so like whenever you go, there's like a 20% chance that that guy gets ushered out and you don't get to see the rest of the show. It's just like a pirated movie where someone stands up in the middle of performance and then walks across the screen because they had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And then you just like at the end, you still have to watch all the bows. Um, I'm gonna make a knockoff Nintendo Switch, but the tablet doesn't dock. It's way bigger and it has a much shorter range and almost no battery life. And I'm gonna call it the Wii U. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna create a knockoff Halloween because we don't have enough costume holidays. It's gonna be in April, so six months prior or after, depending how you look at it, and. There's a national theme that you have to fall in. You, If you can't, just go out and wear whatever you want. Because 
It's getting a little ridiculous. So it's just like a national costume party. There's mm. not candy. We're going to do seeds because it's spring. Okay. So, but here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> there is a yeah. national, there's an international costume party every year called the Met Gala and nobody follows that theme. So I don't know what you expect for poor people to <laughs> also follow well, the, this well, theme. You got to think of the, the theme is going to be like chores. <laughs> okay. So you can yeah. be like, okay. All right. And then like, All right. And then the next Halloween, theme. 2023. Everybody dressing up as churning butter. <laughs> right. Let's do or it. like vacuum cleaners or Clorox wipes. Stuff like that. And then like the next, it's all going to be very approachable stuff. So after that, the next uh, theme is going to be like retail worker. Okay. Like, okay. But yeah. we also run into the into the concept of people just going as themselves. But that's a bridge we'll cross when we get there. We'll, yeah, we'll figure them. it out. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I'm going to do a knockoff Stephen King, but a Stephen King that never stopped doing cocaine. And so just like... <laughs> All, it's all of his books. It's all of his books are like this now. Uh, I'm going to do a knockoff of high school musical where it's elementary schoolers and we're just, it's really just talent scouts. So we go out, find talent, put them on our show. They blow up later on Disney or Nickelodeon. And then every season we have to get new elementary schoolers because obviously they can't stick around too long because we can't have middle schoolers playing elementary schoolers. Or whatever. So every year we got to go find new fourth graders, and it's the exact same plot of high school, uh, high school musical. Every single year we just do it with different people, and it's yeah, gonna be called primary school. Uh, can't think you of a musical pun with a P. Performers, yeah, performing, perf- performing primary school. Okay, PPS. We yes. <laughs> Okay. PPs. It's called PPs. I'm just gonna stop you right there. That was knockoff. So that was our one-hit wonder. Uh, Alex, it was actually off-brand, but we can call it knockoffs if you want. I think I whatever. Um, <laughs> what's your first free balling? Um, I watched Neil Brennan's uh, Netflix special called Blocks. This is the new. This is my new favorite comedy special of 2022. I was laughing out loud for more than half the show. Oh, wow. It beats Joe List and it beats Sam Morell as Those were my top two. Those all are getting moved down one. And this is my new favorite. Neil, it's just like funny, dude. He's just so funny. Um, and I, I can't even spoil the jokes, but like it's it's not regular stand-up comedy. Like he does. He approaches it a little different way every time he does a special. Like before this, he did three mics. Where in one mic he told stories, another mic he told like uh, street jokes, and another one was just like serious thoughts and themes. And then this one, he has blocks in the background, and he, and they're just like different themes in his life, and he has a joke for each theme. Okay. And it was fire, dude. He was so funny. Um, and I would hundred percent recommend it to everyone. I'm giving it like a nine out of ten. Wow, rock on. Um, for sure. I, yeah, that's so good. I'll I'll have to check that one out. Um, For sure. I watched uh, The Banshees of Inishirin, which <laughs> okay. is an early Oscar contender. Uh, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, uh, Ma- uh, Martin McDonough is the director. I don't know if he wrote it. Um, so the movie is Colin Farrell's character and Brendan Gleeson's character are best friends. And so the movie starts with uh Colin Farrell going to Brendan Gleeson's house to pick him up to go to the bar like they do every day and then Brendan Gleeson is just like I don't want to I don't want to be your friend anymore and just doesn't give any explanation and so this whole movie is Colin Farrell trying to figure out why Brendan Gleeson doesn't want to be his friend anymore how he can repair this relationship and kind of how he can grow as well in this process. Um, and this all take and Inishirin is the island it takes place on. It's a small Irish island. And it's one of those islands where there's oh, like... Oh, sweet. That means Colin Farrell gets to use his accent. Yes, it does. Nice. And it's one of those islands where there's like maybe like 100, 200 people on the whole island. Um, and it's a comedy and it's funny. Okay. But it's like Oscar funny. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, uh, yeah. So like there are jokes and you will laugh at the jokes, 
but it's not like a high speed, high paced comedy. Um, this movie is pretty slow. It's a lot of slow character work. And if you don't like the theme of the movie, you're kind of in for a long ride. The movie's two hours, which is normal. Um, but I enjoyed the movie, but I didn't love it. Like I said, it's not a fast-paced comedy. It's a slow burn comedy, which I can appreciate, but they're not my favorite kinds. Um, I think I probably give it like a seven. This movie takes some pretty bold choices, and I <laughs> respect it on so many levels. It's one of those movies that I think when it comes out to streaming, I highly recommend most people watch it just because it's a different kind of comedy than I mm -hmm. think most people usually watch. And even if you don't love it, I think it's still worth giving it a shot. Colin Farrell is great in this movie. Brendan Gleeson is great in this movie. Dude, who doesn't love them? Okay, sweet. I'll definitely, when it starts, to, I mean, we're going to watch Oscar movies because that's just our thing. Um, but I'll definitely check it out. I'm excited to yep. watch it. Flat seven. It's cool. Dope. I'll take it. Uh, I finally got around to watching Thor love and, uh, love and thunder, bro. Um, Natalie Portman is impossible not to love in most of her movies. She is just like infectious. So like in this movie, I'm like, I was always on her side. Yes. Yeah. I, I just loved her this entire movie. Christian Bale was terrifying. He's so good in that movie. He was amazing in this movie. And I'm like, this is why we need to bring... Okay, so Marvel has a lot of access to actors. They need to start going hard in the paint, casting like Oscar-level actors for like villains. Because I think that's how you get like these truly good characters and like scary people. Because his villain was terrifying. And I didn't love Moon Knight, but a lot of people were saying the same thing about Moon Knight. Because you have Ethan Hawke as the antagonist of Moon Knight. Yeah, dude. Just give someone with acting chops permission to be a bad guy. And it's, like, scary, scary. His makeup was amazing. His mannerisms were amazing. Every time he's on screen, I'm like, there's a couple times where I'm like, oh, I would be scared too. 100%. I've watched a lot of Marvel movies and I'm like, this guy's just really not that scary. Like, I'm not worried. Um, yeah. Like, the first, I would say the first two Iron Mans for Whiplash and then, like, freaking Jedediah or whatever his bad guy name was. It was just, like, not scary. Half the Spider-Man villains, not scary. This guy, I'm like, I don't want to be in the same universe as this guy. He's scary, scary. So, great job, Christian Bale. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, great job on the roids. Um this guy was jacked to freaking pieces. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, dude, whatever he's on is doing its job. I think the movie was pretty good. Uh, Russell Crowe as Zeus was cool. It seemed unnecessary, but I'm not, I didn't, I'm not against it. The further away I get from that movie, the less I like the comedy in it. Um, Taika Waititi, I think, is a pretty divisive director. Um, you either love him or hate him. And I just I, I think the comedy wasn't super good in this movie, but like you said, the the dramatic pieces hold their own pretty well. Oh yeah, they're really good. I think this movie is on par with Ragnarok for me. I think a lot of people hold Ragnarok to like a next level. They loved it. I liked this movie. I liked the interaction with Gardens of the Galaxy. I didn't know they were gonna be in this. Um, and I liked that whole dynamic. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah, I think it was just a good movie. I like it. On. It's like on par with where I think Marvel movies should be. I don't think they should fall. I think they shouldn't be below this. This is what you can afford. This is what you have the talent for. All movies should be at this level or better. And I think this movie was just like meeting. It was on par with what should be going down. I would give it a seven and a half. Yeah. I, Yeah. I, I respect that. I respect that. I watched Wakanda Forever. Nice. So here, here's what I'm going to say off the rip is I expected this movie to be a masterpiece. The way the, the review, the early reviews that I heard and the way that this movie was marketed is everybody was praising this movie like it was a masterpiece. It's not. And yeah. I want, 
and I want people to I hope people can understand that going in. Um it's like I'm from the outside looking in, I knew this movie was not gonna be as good as one with Chadwick Boseman. I'm like, it's not gonna be that good. Sure. It's going to be good, but it can't be at or better than that level. But I don't know anything about it. I heard there's a lot of like Hispanic culture in it. Yeah. But that's pretty much all I know. So I the thing I'll say at first is I really don't like the plot to this movie. I think the plot is garbage and it's not mm-hmm. good. Um, phase four, this whole phase of the MCU has this big problem where they are introducing new characters and forcing them to be the plot device for the movie. You know, Kate Bishop in Hawkeye, you know, Clint is protecting her for the entire series. Uh, and, uh, Dr. Strange, America Chavez is introduced just so Dr. Strange could protect her. And the same thing happens in Wakanda forever as well. Riri Williams is introduced just so she could be protected in Wakanda. And I'm like, this sucks. Like dozens upon dozens of people die in this movie because we are protecting Riri Williams. Now, obviously... Is this like a Saving Private Ryan scenario? Almost. And it, it just it <laughs> okay. got to a point where it's like, obviously, protecting Riri is bigger than just protecting Riri. Like, it means more. The movie makes it clear that it's more than protecting this one girl. It's about the whole country. It's about, you know, standing together as a society. And that's what Namor is trying to do. And Namor is trying to disrupt and break that society. But... I know. I, I don't love how they angled the plot. Um, I This movie's also like 15, 20 minutes too long. Holy crap. And, and you, feel, you feel those 15 to 20 minutes. I think everybody feels it in different spots. Um, the people that I saw it with, they wanted to cut some action scenes. I wanted to cut some of the world building. Because um, they were world building in the wrong spots, in my opinion. My biggest critique of the first Black Panther is that Wakanda didn't feel like a living, breathing society. It's like, here's our set that's the throne room. Here's our set that's the lab. Here's our set that's the railway. Like, it didn't feel like a city. And it still doesn't. So they spent more time world building Namor and his society. Like we swam through his entire underwater society and we saw his whole city. And I'm like, uh, I've seen more of this city than I have of Wakanda. And yeah, so that, I so remember that, that was, being a problem last time. So, so I'm critiquing this movie a lot. Um, sure. Letitia Wright is great. I think that she does a really good job. Um, not, she doesn't fill the same shoes. She does something different. And she does that something different very well. This movie is about grief. About grieving T'Challa. About how to continue as a nation and a society without him. And I think it explores that concept very, very well. I think it introduces a few things that overcomplicates that concept. But at the end of the day, watching Shuri go through that emotional journey is very satisfying. So I know I've been ragging on this movie a lot. It's a fun experience. It's a good experience. It's a satisfying experience. And it takes some bold twists and turns. Some I agree with, some I don't agree with. I think at the very least, you know, you got to give this movie a chance. Objectively, it is your duty. It's your obligation. Um, I give it like a seven and a quarter. Like it's good, but okay. you know, it, it's it's a weird spot for me. I, I I'm interested that when you when you watch it, I would like to hear what you have to say about it. Sweet, dude, sounds good to me. All right, next week, it's our last week in our micro themes, and so we we're, we're doing something you know specific here. Um, we have a tendency to like do very American English movies. So it, it, we wanted to take some time to branch out. So we're doing movies with like a primary foreign language aspect to it, where the main language spoken in it is not English. Um, so the two movies that we decided that best fit this category and, you know, like really represent like foreign language movies in general is we're going to be watching the 2003 Old Boy 
and we're also going to be watching the 2015 movie Minions. Um, so if you want to join us on that mission next week, that's what we're doing. But until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mama said hi. See you next week. Deuces.